morning, afternoon, or evening to our listeners who have tuned in for our 16th episode of The Artful Nutmeg. In this week's episode, we're talking about the most followed and widely recognized football league in the world, the English Premier League. Now, the Premier League sits at the top of the English football pyramid and has been the most dominant league in the world. Now, back in 1992, it shook the football world when teams in England's first division, the EFL, went to change the economic structure of the English league and broke away to form their own league, what we now now as the Premier League. But it kind of sounds a bit like the Super League back then. Today's show is a deep dive into a story of big money, star players, and an ongoing fight for the soul of football. I am one of your hosts, Tom Ferguson, and with me is our other host, Daniel Wise. Daniel, how's it going? Well, Tom, you know, uh, it, it, the, there are certain times when just life gets in the way of things, and life has certainly, certainly hit us at both at the same time, essentially. You oh, have yeah. a lot going on with a move. You're you're moving up to Silver Spring, I think, last time you told me, right? Yeah, so I'm taking a pit stop in Bethesda, and then probably going to Silver Spring may end up somewhere else. We're not sure. Silver Spring is a beautiful town. Uh, I didn't live too far from it. So, like, you know, where I lived in D.C., you know, kind of midpoint of 16th Street between, you know, like kind of like the top marker line and and the White House. uh, It was a quick little bus trip to get up there. So just a nice straight shot. AFI theater there like you could go see some see some films on like old like what was it the the 75 millimeter or 35 millimeter whatever whatever it was you know film uh type of stuff and and there was always like a good like classic movie deal you could get what in I, on. Uh, what I found really cool um something something little that maybe you and I are the only people that would appreciate it uh-huh I found that there's a right by the AFI there's a small um there's a small like local league wrestling that I want to go check out. Oh <laughs> like no! <it. laughs> wait, like are you are you saying like amateur like freestyle like pro wrestling? What was that? Like like amateur pro wrestling? Amateur. So so are you saying like like, a, like an indie league? So like squared circle. Squared circle. That is pretty awesome. That I I kind of want to go just to check it out. That kind of rules. Uh, no, I. From what I understand, like yes, uh, there there is like a teeny tiny little like indie wrestling scene, kind of kind of bubbling in the DC area. So that's cool to see that. Like, oh, what was his name? I want. I followed him on Twitter. His oh, his name was like uh, Andrew Huff or something like that, and and he was very involved with that. So I I was. Uh, that's funny you bring that up because I'd be very interested to know if like that's the same guy if he's like involved in that. But that's right. neither here nor there. So you've had this move going on. I've actually like done a complete like career shift. So I am now like out out of the public relations, marketing, communications world. And I am now like dipping my feet into education, specifically middle school. And it's been really wild because I was the kid who like hated school, was 
as soon as I was out, I was like, I'm never coming back. You know, well, you know, then I went through college and all of that. But I was like, I chose my profession because I was like, I don't need like a master's for this. A lot of the people that I knew, it was like, oh, yeah, bachelor's or whatever. You know, that's that's pretty much it. And I was like, cool. I don't need my bachelor's. I'm just going to do this. And now I am, uh, it, you know, working as an education aide. And now I'm like, it should should I go get my master? Am I am I, am I about to go get my master's? And I, I think just, I'm, I think I'm done with school for a while. I, I don't need to go back there. Well, and that's sort of the thing is like I've I've had a good. Oh, if we're talking 2010, I've had a good 13 year break. So I'm like, you know, man. Maybe, maybe it's looking like it's it's time to time to go back to to prove to dad I'm not a fool. So um. <laughs> I'm one of those I'm one of those kids that like was never good at school. Oh, same. So I so I have those nightmares where you literally have like homework due and like you haven't done it. Yes, and I literally wake up and I'm like like oh my god do I have something to do today? And then I'm like, oh, wait, like I graduated. I have a, I have a full-time job. Yeah, no, <laughs> oh no yeah. I've, I've had that several, several times over the years and it get, I, I like literally I have to get up and I have to like, maybe not verbally, but like mentally tell myself, Dan, you're 37. You have a job. You like are, you got through it. You are a homeowner <laughs> or like I, I have the dream where like I have gone through the entire year and then I find out I was registered for a class that I never attended and this is going oh to completely uh, erase my my entire like graduation plans and like yes, oh my god 100 percent oh, the absolute worst just kills me every single time and so uh that yeah i don't know i'm getting back into it and now it's not like i'm you know i don't have to worry about schoolwork i you know uh it's it's mostly like i'm just you know i'm just helping kids and like it's just nice it's like really good i'm i happy as awesome. i've ever been like Love that for you for sure. Yeah. Thank you, buddy. But that, you know, that is, you know, sort of just a quick little update because it's been we were doing real good, you know, sort of uh amidst the women's world cup, and then um things just really threw this out of whack. So like a whole lot's happened. Yeah. We've already started the English Premier League, and that was sort of like, yeah, we're going to do this. We're going to do this topic. We had it planned that we were going to hit it like week before the league, <laughs> before like week before or week after we were going to jump into it and, and introduce like how the Premier League like came to be. But boy, things just kind of changed real quickly. And um, yeah. I'm I'm very excited to kind of get into this because we are kind of like we're starting like around the 80s and there's, you know, uh, a few things going on with football in terms of like, you know, sort of like the the fan support, the overall infrastructure and money that's involved. But at the same time, like, you know, where, you know, the the FA wanted to improve things uh, for English football. Uh, there were some unforeseen consequences that came with that, but we will kind of start from the beginning. And 
uh, Tom, if you want to talk about like the state of English football in the eighties, what was that looking like? Yeah. So honestly, it was kind of, it's kind of useful having a, having a father that grew up who's in his early twenties, uh, mm. in the eighties in, in England. So he kind of knows a lot about it firsthand. So I was able to actually talk to him about it. Um, but he said it, it, it's something that will probably never ever happen again or ever be like in England. Um, going going from the start, like pretty much English football in the eighties was incomparable to football that we know today in the Barclays Premier League. Mm-hmm. It was time where the game was a lot rougher. The start of TV co- coverage was just beginning on a nationwide scale with satellite, and honestly, the safety of fans was just at an all time low. Mm-hmm. Now the eighties truly asked the question whether there was a right, if there was a right to football to exist as a mass spectator sport. Um, putting it on TVs and making it satellite made it basically put an eye on it and made people see sort of the bad side of it as a mass spectator sport. You had, of course, the players in the world such as Diego Maradona, Rude Guillet, Lee Barnes. This was the the eighties was the height of Liverpool, and this was the mm. emergence of Arsenal as a top side. Now, football in England was just in an uncontrollable state, struggling to keep teams afloat and keep stadiums intact. Which we there we have a few stories. The football mm-hmm. league struggled throughout the seventies and all the way up through nineteen eighty five until we saw really any sort of improvement. Now. <laughs> Here's here's a word that you may not have heard as an as American uh, supporters, but hooliganism, which is ironically as in England compared to the Marxism as the working class fighting for pride and betterment under one banner. Hooliganism is supporters of a team who go out and support the team with, you know, sweat, blood, tears will do will fight a stranger just because of the team that they support all sorts. The only American comparison I can give is uh, Philadelphia Eagles fans when mm-hmm. they won the world, when they won the uh, Super Bowl. Yeah. Now take, take that Super Bowl celebration when they're tearing things down, breaking stuff all over the place. Now put that into every match day in England. That's basically what it was like. It was hooliganism was crazy. It was dangerous and honestly kind of a sad part of football. Now in some countries, it's still incredibly prominent. Now you see it in Germany still in a big, especially in Eastern Europe. Germany's probably the top league that where it's still very, very prevalent. Um, I'll never forget when I was in London, I stayed with my aunt who lives near, um, the lives near the Emirates actually, mm. and I think it was Eintracht Frankfurt came. This is when they knocked out Arsenal of Europa a couple years ago. Yep, and they like battered the place. Like the whole. Luckily, we were like inside the neighborhood, away from the main street enough that it wasn't like an issue. But mm. all the bus stops were vandalized and like punched in. Um. There were just like stickers all over. Like they were like, it's us. We did this. Um, absolutely crazy. But when we go back to, you know, how we see it now, it's heavily punished in England. So you don't really see 
you know, Liverpool and Man U fans uh, going and beating each other in the streets in large groups. Yeah. But back in the 1980s, hooliganism started catching the eye of everyone, thanks to the progression of video equipment and TV broadcasting. Now, the 80s saw many disasters due to hooliganism, and a lot of it came from what they would do in terms of the amount of supporters coming to games or coming into stadiums, um, mm-hmm. poor facilities, and just poor judgment. Yeah. Now, some of these, some well, some of these, all of these are pretty bad, um, but some you may have never heard of. We can put in show notes uh, links to them. This first one, the Bradford City Fire, where an entire stand caught on fire, which was due to one person who threw their cigarette against a bit of dilapidated wood, mm-hmm. which set the entire stand on fire. This ended up injuring over 250 supporters and killing 56. Wow. Yeah, all because of a cigarette. Um, and this is due to, you know, having stands that were just made made out of made out of wood with no sort of um what's the word fire prevention paint or anything on them it was just yeah easy to set on fire yes and like it now, basically it's it's all i mean yeah we we have the glistening you know steel fortresses you know the the emirates and the etihad and uh, uh, Allianz Field and you know all these like gorgeous stadiums and you know it's easy to like and, and I I get it you know sort of with with you know the media it's like uh a lot of the past is sort of uh brushed off and you don't really see it or you're not really aware of it unless you've really like gone into it so if you've ever right. you know watched uh football movies like Fever Pitch or uh even even like uh Green Street where you know you you, you know the in a way, those movies kind of like weirdly glorify <laughs> those those oh, times. So I love Green Street. Yes, Charlie Hunnam is amazing. Yes, so you know, um, you you see those as like they were basically oh barely uh, structures. You know, <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, <laughs> they're high school bleachers made out of wood, but yeah. they're meant to hold like. The hundreds and hundreds of people. Yes. It's like, it's just, just not going to work. Yep. Um, moving on, though, this is actually a really prominent one. And this involved Liverpool, who we said was at the height of their time. Now, the big thing about this, even though it didn't happen in England, mm-hmm. this was essentially the, the 80s time of the Champions League final, if you would. Yeah. So this happened in 1985 between Liverpool and Juventus at the European final that took place in Brussels. Now with hooliganism involved, there was a fight between the two supporter sections in the middle of the neutral stand. So you think, you know, one end has all the Juventus fans. One end has all the Liverpool fans. Mm -hmm. They fought through and met in a neutral stand and got into a massive overcrowded fight. And what happened was, you know, they broke through a fence to stop them, which was made out of chicken wire. Wow. Which is like, which is like nothing. Barely I mean, anything. chicken wire is for chickens. Yep. <laughs> like humans can just move that. And this ended up with 39 people dead and over 600 people injured. 
The worst part about this was a majority of the deaths were actually non-Liverpool and non-Juventus fans. They were just Belgian citizens, Belgian residents who were sitting in the neutral era who ended up being crushed against the wall. Oh man. And then and then eventually um that the side of the wall collapsed and a lot of people fell and got crushed even more. And phew, one of the worst ones, but I think we all know what the what the worst one in England has always been, which is of course the Hillsborough disaster, which of course involves Liverpool, who were the most popular club in the eighties. The Hillsborough disaster. Just four years after Liverpool had been part of one disaster, they found themselves in another one. But of course, this time in their home country. Unlike the one in Brussels, however, this had nothing to do with hooliganism. Yeah. Those in charge of running the capacity of the stadium and the police who are making sure the people who have tickets get in, the people who don't have tickets stay out. Now, these people were trying to deal with the massive crowds outside of the stadium. And basically, and I believe this is against, this is when Liverpool played Nottingham Forest in a FA Cup semifinal. So, important game. Mm-hmm. Now, to ease the large crowd outside the stadium, the police made the decision to allow fans to go into what was a closed-off part of the stadium, uh, a stand that was closed off, mm-hmm. and there were turnstiles to that stand as well that were closed off. The police opened them, let all these fans come flooding into the stadium, which caused an overload of the stand, which was far beyond the capacity it should have been. Those signs are there for a reason, people. There's a reason why you can only have a certain number of people in an elevator. Yeah. And this, having all these fans in this one section, caused the stand to basically crush and collapse and ended up with 97 people being killed and 766 people injured. It is still the highest death toll in British sport history. And I believe ESPN did a 3430 on Hillsborough. And I think like one of yep. the revelations from it is that like m- many of the families who were affected by it, like still hadn't, you know, received any sort of, you know, sort of like compensation or, or any sort of uh, relief from it. Yeah. And this was honestly, it was the event that, made especially the football association really say you know we've got to improve stadiums um and we really have to cut down it can't be sort of mass spectator sport yes but it has to be controlled you know it has to be able to have the correct amount of people in the stadium you can't just let everybody all in because this is what leads to accidents and mm-hmm. this is what leads us to revamping the EFL. Now, 89 was the disaster February of 1992 where EFL stadiums are still falling apart and money is slowly trickling in. Now going from here, while the English football league and all of its teams and stars had existed for decades, the introduction of nationwide TV rights and satellite TV brought on much more viewership and an eye to what was really happening to the game. Mm-hmm. As explained earlier, in the early part of the 80s, the cost for TV rights in the first division of English football was just £5.2 million per year for a two-year contract. 
that by the time 1988 came around, ITV, which is very, if people in America don't know, is one of the top uh, broadcasters mm-hmm. in England, uh, probably second to BBC. I, I believe there's four of them. Or how many? Yes, yeah. there are. There might be more at this there point. There might be more. <laughs> um, by the time 1988 came around, ITV paid £44 million per year on a four-year contract, oh. which quadrupled the contract uh, per year. The TV revenue earned by clubs within this time largely increased, which started leaving clubs with a lot more money to spend on bigger names, player signings, actually putting some improvements to stadiums and advertising. Mm-hmm. Now, this this is not where things are going to just suddenly be better. Um, this is where people are seeing, oh, you know, football can make money. You know, there there is profit in this. Maybe we need to revamp the EFL. So come to February of 1992, when the EFL stadiums are falling apart, and the money was still trickling in slowly, 22 teams decided to break away from the EFL and form their own league. If you've heard any of our stuff before, it sounds similar. These teams were Arsenal, Aston Villa, Blackburn, Chelsea, Coventry, Crystal Palace, Everton, Ipswich, Leeds, <laughs> Liverpool, Man City, Man U, Millsborough, Norwich, Iron Forest, Oldham, which is a surprising one, QPR, Sheffield, Sheffield United, Sheffield Wednesday, Southampton, Tottenham, uh, and Wimbledon, which is kind of surprising because so many of those teams now have fallen off. And it's really funny to, oh, sorry, Um, uh, just saying like, so looking kind of at the story or, you know, how this all kind of started is I was actually kind of like a meeting um of uh the so like the uh managing director of the london winkland uh television uh meeting with the big five clubs and you know kind of looking into it, i'm like man this is a weird list not too weird but a, a couple of them where i'm like it's it's very different now when we're talking about like big four clubs or big five clubs today um this was what it was it was um representatives from arsenal everton liverpool manchester united and tottenham hotspur like those interesting those were the top five and then you know and again this is the 90s but then you get into the 2000s and then that that top four top five you know has you know some you know introduction of like chelsea coming in and then after 2010 you have manchester city coming in and it's funny to see like how that has shit especially with everton who yeah that sounds that's so bad for everton uh just who are floundering now and just you know 20 odd years ago uh you know they were top top of everything basically yeah they are it's arsenal and everton the only two teams to have yet to been relegated yeah so i know uh my buddy jose (laughs) he really wants everton to get relegated so he can sort of claim it as a trophy. Yeah, because no, we haven't we haven't had any you know in a little bit. So well, we we got we got the uh, community shield. We'll take what so we can. We'll take what we get. 
There you go. <laughs> well, I mean, what's so what's funny about those 22 teams that broke away, 12 of them are currently in the Premier League, mm-hmm. and the other 10 have completely fallen off, which is so interesting to think. It, I don't want to say, like, oh, maybe a Super League works, because I know I know what the modern-day look of it is now. Yeah. Then it was like, there's no money coming in, and now it's just like, we want more money. Just and, give us more. And that's the thing, is, like, it... It really made English football uh, a a two class system. You know, you had right. and, and essentially the the idea was to keep money at the very top, and you know, because this is another thing that like kind of blew me away is like the FA and the EFL completely different entities. I thought yeah. it was basically the same thing. It's not. And it was really funny because, yeah, the F.A. uh, was not having a great relationship with the EFL at the time. And and they were huge proponents of like a break, a breakaway league. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah, it's very because when it happened in 1992, the main thing it was about was, hey, we're we're all kind of in the same space. Spot, sort of mm-hmm. you know like there wasn't huge disparities of money between the teams where and we'll we'll get into this the the breakaway of the super league a few years ago was about the rich teams being like i think we want to make even more money mm-hmm. you know it it's it's sort of turned more into oh we want to have everyone profit from the game too oh, we just want some of us to make a lot of money and the other guys can shove off. Yeah. And, you know, no, around sorry, this... Sorry, go ahead. Oh, yeah. Or, so around this time, you know, the big thing was TV money. And, you know, there's a very familiar figure, uh, you know, to, to those who are familiar with news or just cable networks and everything. Uh, Rupert Murdoch... Uh, became a huge factor in kind of like the formation of the Premier League because he had, you know, Sky TV and then you had the British uh, satellite broadcasting and then they essentially merged into becoming, uh, you know, B Sky B, I think was, was the name of it. Right. Yeah, I mean, Rupert Murdoch has been a massive effect for the premier league i i mean there are a lot of things of the premier league i i don't like mm-hmm. and i think that's always going to be the case you know especially with uh introduction of var and how that's going which is a whole nother uh conversation but you can't really i can't really fault the guy for the effort that he's been able to you know put in and keep the premier league basically at the top of all domestic leagues in the world yeah um, but now, so going on from the breakaway of these 22 teams that were came from a similar reasons of the failed Super League coup that we saw just a few years ago. Money. Yeah. The new Premier League came with an incredibly lucrative TV deal, like Daniel said, that would put tons of money into the clubs that had broken away. The large part of the success of the creation of the Premier League was actually the backing of the Football Association. So this is, as Daniel was saying, EFL, the EFL and the FA, completely different. The Football Association is more the governing body of English football, whereas the EFL is more 
the management side mm-hmm. of the leagues. So the EFL deals with cups within those own leagues, deciding who's where, you know, relegation promotion between the leagues. The Football Association governs the betterment of football in the entire country. They're the ones that basically help decide the rules of the game. They're the ones that are the ones that are okay, either Super League or, you know, teams breaking away, etc. Now, getting the backing of the Football Association was a huge blow to the EFL. At the end of the EFL 1991 season, this is when something called the Founders Members Agreement was signed which gave independence to those 22 teams from the EFL pyramid. A year later, the entire division of the EFL that stayed with them and not broken away, then resigned and joined the 22 teams that had broken away the year before. Mm-hmm. And from here, this is where we get into the funny money of English football. As we've spoken in past episodes about the money in the Premier League, it's kind of funny to think where the Premier League started as a breakaway Super League to become the richest league in the world. Premier League close to the 2021 season. That's the last year of data I could get. Mm-hmm. The 2021 season made £9.2 billion in revenue, which was an increase of 13% from the previous year. Of course, this is due to the rise of the COVID, which could, took fans out of the seats and, you know, financially hit everyone. But of course it's the ever growing TV and commercial rights. Every year, those rights seem to go up and especially in America, whether it's NBC sports, uh, I think when I started watching, it was Fox soccer channel. Oh, yep. I remember that one. Channel 84 soccer plus Fox soccer plus where you get like one or two prem games and then like some Italian league. <laughs> and then rugby. It was it was always yeah, rugby. rugby. And then rugby. <laughs> and my dad used to be like, oh, we're paying like $60 a month for this. Yeah. And I was like, this is great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Those are the days. Yep. Um, so with a mass increase of revenue from TV deals, advertisements, and growing competitions such as Champions League, The annual revenue has skyrocketed in the last 30 years since the Premier League started. Now, when the Premier League did first start, Liverpool and Manchester United had the highest wage bills, with around $8 million a year each. Now, Manchester United... I hate reading this. Mm -hmm. Manchester United now have a wage bill of $190 million a year, and Liverpool spends around $140 million a year. Yeah. That's... I think I'm... We we pay one player eight million a year, uh huh, easily. Yep, and I d- I doubt he even plays. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm I know Harry Maguire makes more than eight million a year. Yes, and and oh, I mean God. yeah, that is truly wild. And and I don't know. I I I try to think of like where you kind of pinpoint where things got completely out of hand and i you know like man the the 2010s were really wild because that's where uh you you had well you know to even early 2000 because you was it like spain's galacticos was that sort of like the thing that was like that was like um late 2000 sort of oh six 
uh, even earlier. It was like oh four to like oh nine, basically. I'm trying to think. Is that sort of the thing that just got everyone wildly psychotic I about? Mean, I mean, even earlier. Yeah, it must have been. It must have been like oh two. Uh huh. When uh, so for me, I I don't. This is kind of weird. I think of the Galacticos from um from the 2002 World Cup, yeah. basically until Cristiano Ronaldo arrives. Right, <laughs> that's, that's how I view it. Because there were still players from that from that era that was on that team. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that so basically the 2000 that would probably be my favorite Premier League era because that's when I got into it. Yeah. Like you had, I remember one goal. You're not gonna like this one <laughs> because it was like the one one game Premier League game, but it was the Michael Essien outside mm-hmm. of the foot shot that they had on Arsenal. Yes, that was like from thirty yards out, and it was just like, and I hate Chelsea, don't like Arsenal, but that's probably one of the earliest goals that like I can remember the whole play in and out, just nonstop. And that that era was just also you know Cristiano Ronaldo coming to coming to Man United as as a wee lad mm-hmm. and just just ruining the game in every other aspect for me because I was like this is my height <laughs> yeah well and then you know uh, gosh just the whole Neymar situation uh, you know from you know him going to from Santos to Barcelona eventually PSG yeah. and now over in Saudi Arabia. Uh, that Barca front three was crazy. He was, he broke record. And then like, what was it like? Uh, was it Eden Hazard? Well, was he like, sort of like the first one who was like a major, like what? Uh, yeah. Eden Hazard destroyed everyone in the early 2010s when he was on Chelsea. And then I want to say even like Gareth Bale was a, and that's when we were yeah. like talking like that's when a hundred million was like this is insane like this is the guy this is the yeah this is the guy this is like the it, you can't the, nothing's gonna surpass this and yeah I think I think we <laughs> sold Ronaldo for a hundred million I yeah. want to say that yeah. was like our and that was like oh my god like da 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 and then Bale did it too. And and I hope at some point I don't know I maybe it never does because Apple is so notoriously uh, opaque when it comes to their finances and all of that. But you know, yeah. obviously, like there's no you know transfer when it comes to this messy situation. But it, it, especially like even his wage like doesn't even touch. But like with how that deal was structured between MLS. Apple and Adidas like that's got to be insane. And especially when you're talking about like kind of like the long tail uh, view of it, like where that even goes, because we're, we're kind of getting off the plot a little bit. But like, um, you know, it's just, yeah, like to a certain degree, like, man, how big is too big? And like, yes, we had uh, essentially like the Premier League was the original Super League. And then we all of a sudden had this new European uh, Super League that that thankfully failed. Um, but, it, you know, it was like such a double edged sword uh, for these teams because they, you know, they got the brand 
spanking shiny new stadiums. Uh, they got the great like TV deals and exposures. But the real issue, and, and this was something that was like brought up heavily uh, by I want to say it was Arsene Wenger and uh, Sir Alex Ferguson, were like, we are absolutely just. Uh, what, what, what am I trying to say? We're they, like essentially they were being taken uh, to the shed over you know just how oh, yeah. the league had to structure the season to accommodate the broadcasting rights. Yeah, I mean, oh, man, <laughs> I I find I find like the the nineties and the. Because if if I was to say, right, mm-hmm. if I had a favorite, like, time with broadcasting rights coming out, it's and especially being a Man United fan, I would say the 90s. Mm-hmm. But I can't, I can't sit here born in 94 and be like, yeah, I was watching them when I was four. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I can't, I can't lie. And, and for um, the, for the most part, like, people within, Br- I believe it's still set up where... Essentially, like the Premier League broadcasts, but for basically free within Britain, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, now you have to now you have to pay to watch your local club. Oh, I mean, it's really? Crazy. Yeah, there's some games. So, I maybe it's not the case of this season, but I know last season. Um, you know, like here, I guess for you it's nine a.m. slot. A uh-huh. bunch of games uh, for me, it's a ten a.m. slot. Um, so essentially they're, they're 3 PMs. They would have a bunch of games going all at the same time. And rather than having something like Peacock where it's like, Oh, we're just going to show like five of them and you can pick which one you want. Mm -hmm. Um, you would have to pay like 10, 10 pounds for the game you want to watch. Gross. And super gross. Right. And that's the other thing is that, you know, not only are they and man, this is happening, happening with MLS too. uh, you know, the fact that they scrunch, you know, all these games uh, at one yeah. time that that like for here, it's like the 6 p.m. slot or or 7 or 8 p.m. slot. And then you've got um, basically the the west coast teams having that late night you know nine ten o'clock ten o'clock spot but it's you start getting into weird midweek matches and this was something that really chafed with uh ferguson and wenger is is how this would affect um matchups because you would sometimes have teams play on wednesday and a saturday uh or or you know a, a tuesday and a friday or whatever it was and sometimes it would be like one team would have that like extra days rest advantage over another just because they had that game you know at a, at an earlier day in the week or or you know something along those lines and yeah the, like essentially Wenger said that english football essentially sold its soul uh oh yeah you know yeah you know for money instead of like the the essentially fair competition between clubs yeah and it's i mean it's still happening Mm -hmm. even with the inclusion of you know trying basically we're trying to do two cups right we're trying to do uh european league as well and then also fit in 38 games yes and it's like once once the for teams that play in Europe, 
I remember, was it two years ago? Maybe three years ago? We had an away game to uh, Istanbul Bashekir. I'm going to butcher that name. Mm-hmm. I apologize. An away game there on a Thursday night, right? Yep. And then we had to get back for Sunday to an away game at Chelsea. Yeah. And it was like, dude, we've got three days to get from Turkey back home, uh-huh. then fly to London and play away against one of our rivals. Yes. It's like, yo, come on. Like, can you cut us a break? And yeah, it's just, and we're actually, honestly, we're kind of, we kind of see it with injuries, like the amount of ACLs that are popping left and right, yeah. even this season, just to start. Um, and yeah. Oh my God. Like summer tours as well. I could go on and on. Um, I'm really, I'm really mad personally because Man United has about eight injuries right now that are six weeks or over. Um, and that was because we had to play nine games in like four weeks right before the season. And, and the same thing sort of happened with Arsenal as well with the Jurian Timber. And uh, I mean, you, you yep. still have uh, Gabriel Jesus uh still out and you know (laughs) so i think it was like people were like man do we do we play tyranny at left back left back do we you what are we doing here what are we gonna what are we gonna do about this so yeah it was yeah it's it's a rough situation right now yeah i'm i'm not very happy about it yeah yeah so um you know the, the in a way like it's oh man you know I I try to uh yeah I actually saw a really or got a really funny video the other day day where um oh was it was it it was Manchester United versus Leeds or something like that from like the 80s where Manchester tried they basically like had their entire line try to catch a guy uh offside but the passer essentially passed it to himself because he just he passed it behind the line and then like ran and uh you know uh had an open goal and everything and he's still like complete howler missed it and it was like the meme was like man football was so much better in the 80s like you know and no (laughs) um no it was just chaos i it was chaos and like i there is a part of me that like i there i try to dive as much into that that old football content just to sort of get a feel for that and like that's something i'd like to do in the future is like kind of dive real deep into what football was uh before the premier league uh even got where you had nottingham forest being kings of europe you know twice yes (laughs) (laughs) somehow yes so champions of you you'll never sing that (laughs) (laughs) anyways we are we're we're on on that note we're coming up on time uh right now uh tom where can the good people find you yeah of course you guys can find me on instagram at ti ferguson 94 and of course find me on Twitter at Snitch McConnell and Daniel, where can people find you and find the artful nutmeg? Yeah, you can find me on Instagram at Professor SDFC. Uh, send me whatever memes you got on there. I love it. That's that's I'm I'm all for it. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Daniel six oh five wise. 
and yeah, follow the Artful Nutmeg uh, on Twitter and on Instagram at the Artful Nutmeg. Uh, Tom, fun to get back with you. We'll get back on a regular schedule uh, oh, yeah. once once uh, we sort of figure out uh, all this stuff. So it might still be a little uh, hit or miss. We will we'll kind of we'll we'll keep you know keep plugging away but uh yes thank you to everyone who listens to our show uh who supports us remember to be well and watch more soccer